0: good morning ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and bulldog fans everywhere me and gavin are happy to welcome y'all back to the hail state shockwave we've got a very special guest we're very excited to do our i guess that's our third interview gavin yeah uh, we're very very excited we'll think y'all this is going to be a real treat for y'all so without further ado i'd like to introduce steve robertson who is a journalist and podcast host originally from columbia mississippi He has covered the Mississippi State beat for many years, breaking huge recruiting stories and covering athletic events faithfully during his time here as a Mississippi State beat writer. He hosts the number one most listened podcast on the Mississippi State beat, The Boneyard, which airs three times every week and can be found on Spotify, Apple Music or wherever podcasts are found. He's author of two books, Flim Flam, which details the NCAA violations Ole Miss committed during the Hugh Freeze era, and Stark Villains, a collection of stories from primary sources chronicling some of the best and wildest stories from the Mississippi State-Ole Miss rivalry. He has a wife, Dana, and two sons, Ani and Ian, and two daughters, Audrey and Mia, who both attend Mississippi State. Affectionately or not so affectionately known as Rose Bowl, please welcome Steve Robertson to the Hale State Shockwave. (laughs)
1: well glad to be here thanks for having me Colton I appreciate you guys taking some time to talk about the new book
0: thank you for joining us we're super excited I've pre-ordered my book and uh, we'll tell y'all how you can pre-order yours at the end of the show um we're super I'm I'm excited for it I read the first book uh I actually got it signed by you on the egg bowl day two years ago uh at the bookstore and i I read it and loved it got my dad got my dad one but i'm more i'm more excited for the second one than the first one because i I like i like the story you know everybody likes a story we're gonna get a few stories with the first one but gavin's got a question to start us off uh about the first book though what's that gavin
2: yeah so um before we get to the book we were really just more interested in when you became a mississippi state fan and how it happened oh that's right
1: yeah so well i don't know that i had a choice um you know, my dad was a Mississippi State graduate. Uh, matter of fact, he, uh, he married my mom, and uh, they, they lived in marital housing here at Mississippi State. And uh, shortly after, my dad graduated with a degree in agricultural economics and a minor in animal husbandry. He took a job with Farmers Home Administration and uh, went to work Farmers Home in, in Greene County in Lucedale, Mississippi. And my brother was born there. And then my dad moved to Madison County in Canton, Mississippi, and I was born there, and we were raised Bulldogs. I mean, that's just kind of what we were and how we did things. And in uh, November first, 1980, my dad took me and my brother to my very first college football game, and that's the day Mississippi State beat number one Alabama. And so from that day forward, I always felt like, you know what, Mississippi State was capable of great things, and that uh, if, if you wanted to be a part of something in this state, that was authentic mississippi state was the way to go
0: yep so you were
1: there when we beat the bear i was there yeah I, yeah there's four four million other people claimed they were there but i was actually there <laughs> uh, do you have the bumper sticker <laughs> you know we didn't have the bumper sticker but uh, that was one of the coolest things about all that is uh, i'm sure they probably sold more bumper stickers than tickets because there were a lot of people <laughs> that wanted to claim they were there that really weren't there but yeah i was i was there and uh little trivia fact about that too my brother actually defected to Alabama at halftime, and uh, and then in the final minutes, when State hung on to win the ball game, my dad said, "Well, you know, well Pat, what you gonna do now?" And he goes, "Oh, I was just joking."
0: So uh, <laughs> defections are never that's terrible luck. That's always bad luck. I feel like somebody probably defected to Auburn during our our game this weekend, uh, made it all go downhill. <laughs> Uh, The next question we have, and probably the only question we'll ask about the previous book is what was the most rewarding and most challenging part of writing flim flam?
1: That's a really good question. And and yeah, I tell you, there's there's a couple things that I would say. Number one is, I think every writer aspires to write a book, whether they have a good story to write or not. And uh, it is a very difficult undertaking writing a book. I mean, everybody thinks, well, it's just a lot of words, and it is a lot of words, but it has to have a skeleton. It has to have an outline. It has to have purpose and meaning, and so to, to actually finish a book is a lot more difficult than actually writing a book, and that's one of the things that I, that I didn't know initially and after writing two of them that I have a real appreciation for is you can kind of quote in the writing process. And then there's still months and months of work left to do to finish and complete the work. And so I think mm-hmm. the first thing that I would say is actually completing something of such magnitude. You know, to, to, to begin, it's kind of like they say, you know, how, you know, how do you eat an elephant? what's well, one bite at a time. Same thing with writing a book. There was so much to it. And there were so many opportunities to just give up on that. I think finishing the work was incredibly rewarding. But to write something of significance, you know, because a lot of people think their story is uh is so interesting and in fact of the matter is most stories are kind of mundane and there's not a lot to tell but this was the story that needed to be told it changed the course of athletics in the state of Mississippi uh, it exposed the biggest scandal I believe in Mississippi athletic college athletics history and so those two things are big but I think one of the biggest things and perhaps and you asked me to give you the most rewarding thing I'm giving you three I think it's to write something that people place value in. I mean, to have – again, there are a lot of people that are very talented writers. But to write something that Mississippi State fans and college football fans and people look at that and say, you know what, that was a great book. That was a great story. I'm glad that he did that. Because you write a lot of things for yourself, and sometimes they only make sense to you. But when you write something that resonates with people and kind of gives people – uh, I, I guess some insight into a, an amazing story they would not have had otherwise. Uh, that's been, that's been one of the greatest joys of my life.
0: Man, that's, that's a great answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for uh, talking about that. And just talking about how you write, a, writing a great story that people want to hear, you know, there's a lot of excitement, excitement about this book for Stark Villains, which I'm given to understand is a collection of stories, right? Or you've interviewed people and you've, uh, gotten firsthand accounts and primary sources about uh, some of this, the coolest stories that needed to be told. Uh, and I just want to ask what, what's your, what was your favorite interview that you did for that book? And what, what's the one that we might should look the most forward to without, without
1: revealing too much, of course. Well, I tell you the, uh, it depends on what day you ask me, you know, because some, some days I think, you know what, that was a really cool story. And, and it, it it is a collection of stories, but it reads there. there there's a thread between each story. So it reads like it's it's a it's a book. It is the mm-hmm. Mississippi State story, but each chapter kind of stands independently. So, like say for an example, if you wanted to flip over to chapter thirteen and read that, you you, you don't ha- you won't have to have read chapter twelve. And so each chapter kind of stands on its own. It's all part of a bigger story, but you can read that chapter and not feel like you've missed anything. So, mm-hmm. so uh, some of my favorite stories are actually about. There are three chapters about things that Mississippi State students did that kind of struck a blow in the rivalry for Mississippi State. Uh, And and I've got really interviews that cover eight different decades of Mississippi State athletics, and it's incredible to think about that. Uh, But one of my favorite stories is from 1946. I interviewed a 93-year-old guy by the name of Frank Carolla, from leland mississippi and he and his best friend skeeter were both mississippi state students at 19 years of age they flew a plane over to oxford and did some redecorating of the old miss football stadium the day before the egg bowl (laughs) (laughs) and uh and so and you begin people say man 19 years of age you know well yeah a lot of the delta ruled the state back then and and you didn't have a great highway structure and so people use these airplanes you know, to, fer- to ferry supplies back and forth from one town to another or, or to uh, crop dust their farms. And so it was not atypical for teenagers and even younger than 19 years of age to be able to fly those planes. But this plane was so small they'd had, they had to gas up in Leland. And then they got to Oxford and gassed up again. And then they went and dropped their payload on the old Miss campus and then got back to Leland. And, and I asked Frank, I guess, you know, Frank, you're 93 years old now. When you look back over your life, you know, how do you feel about all that stuff? What, what you guys did at Ole Miss? And he said, well, I ain't sorry about it if that's what you're asking.
2: <laughs> uh, that's perfect. That's awesome. All right. So uh, we, were, we were also interested in what was your motivation behind writing Stark Villains? What made you want to take on that project? Well, you know, when I first got ready to
1: move to Starkville permanently, uh, back we we moved in 2014, but when I, we made the decision to move here, I said, you know, when I get to Starkville, I want to tell the Mississippi State story. And one of the things, if you'll notice, if you do any research at all about books about the state Ole Miss rivalry, they're all written by some old Miss guy, you know. And so I felt like it was time for our side of the story to be told. And so I was actually under contract to write the sequel to Flim Flam, and eventually I'll write that. We'll probably cycle back to that in about five years. But I pitched them on this idea because my heart just wasn't in writing the sequel to Flim Flam yet. I think we needed to let that story breathe for a little bit. And, uh, and so I wanted to do something that was really a lot more positive and not really controversial this go around. And, and uh, former Mississippi State football player Stan Black died in a tragic accident. And that really motivated me to get going to write some of these stories. So I thought, you know, we never know when we're going to lose some of our maroon and white heroes. And uh, we've got people that have got great stories that are, are going to pass on. And we're not going to document those. And one of my favorite things in the book, and I get chills thinking about this. But in, um, in 1905, Mississippi State played Ole Miss in football for the first time in Jackson, Mississippi. And legend has it that every Mississippi State student attended the game. Most of them boarded a train. They took the train down to Jackson. They uh, went down, enjoyed a tour of Jackson. They went to the fairgrounds. They played Ole Miss. And uh, Ole Miss that particular year, their football coach either quit or got fired about six weeks before the season started. So they struggled to put together practices. They only had two games on the schedule. They lost them both in huge blowouts. They didn't score a point the whole year. And so uh, I found a letter to the editor of the Reflector by a guy by the name of PAP, P-A-P, class of 1906 Mississippi State, some, 19, wow. some 19-year-old some 19 kid. And so I took that letter and I put it in the book, quoted him verbatim, and he tells the story about how those smarmy, smart aleck Mississippi college a&M Aggie Bulldog fans had a funeral for Ole Miss football down the streets of Jackson, Mississippi after the game. <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> and the, let me tell you the better part of it. <laughs> so somehow, some way, these kids, and that's who they are, they're kids. People forget that. I mean, you read this stuff in, in hindsight, and you forget these are 18-, 19-, 20-year-old kids from the farming communities around the state of Mississippi. Somehow some way they got a hold of a coffin and they had a full military parade funeral through Jackson and they put bully on top of the casket as they paid their respects to Ole Miss football since it was dead <laughs> and buried.
2: <laughs>
1: and so I That's thought, amazing. and I I just think to myself, this is a kid who's dead and gone. No, no idea who he is, what kind of life he had, who he married, what his kids did, what he did for a living. But on that day, he captured a tremendous moment in the rivalry, and I thought that needs to be documented for future generations to appreciate. And so, to be able to take something that old and that important and to breathe new life into that for a new generation of Bulldog fans is really exciting.
2: Right, because if you wouldn't have Absolutely. discovered that, you know that story could have very well died. Because I know, I know, uh, I, I've never heard of that. So that's well, cool Who else is looking for it? You know, that's
1: that's the the thing you ask yourself is like. And so when when I first got ready to do the book and I reached out to some Mississippi State historians and I said, hey, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to interview Jackie Sherrill and Ron Polk and some of these people. But I want to tell some other stories, too, that maybe aren't quite as well known. And people said, well, do you want football stories or baseball stories or basketball stories? I said, I want good stories. I, I don't I don't care what they cover. I don't care who's involved in them. I just want to document great moments in the rivalry from a Mississippi State perspective. And so that's what I did. I'm very, very proud of the work. And uh, it's, good, it's going to be out later this month. Really excited for people to get their hands on it.
2: Yeah, we're awesome. excited too. Um, I know I'm ready to
1: get my hands on it.
2: Yeah. So, how long or when did you begin writing the book? Just real quick. That's a
1: great question, too. I don't even really remember, to be honest with you. It's like um, most of. 2019, I guess I really started on it in um, probably the fall quarter of 2018, and uh, I had, uh, my hope was to have it all finished in the spring and have it released late spring, but then uh, my literary agent uh, moved, and there are all kind of personal things that happened with him, and so uh, as a result, we like to push it back, and there's really only two times a year you release books, and that's the spring, and then in the holiday quarter, And so, since we weren't going to release in the spring, I elected to travel with Mississippi State Baseball and uh, document Jake Mangum's chase of the record and all that sort of stuff. And I had such a good time covering road baseball, I thought, you know, why would I deny myself this opportunity to have such a good time covering Mississippi State Baseball? And so, I kind of put things on hold for a while and really buckled down, and I finished everything this summer. Uh, Matter of fact, I, I had the final edits of the book done the week before we open fall football camp. And so then what happens in all part of this writing process, as I share with you guys, there's so much that goes into it. Well, then the course of the next you know six weeks or so, you go through all these editorial changes. You've got a copy editor, you've got a content editor, you've got a grammatical editor, and you've got all these people that are making notes and changes on the work that you're so emotionally attached to. And sometimes it's very difficult because you think, okay, the, these, these stories are my babies. And so when people mm-hmm. have made, a, and you, you have to have thick skin because even when they're being critical, they're trying to make the book better. And so you work through all that, then the book ships off the print and, uh, and then you wait, you know, you sit, you sit around you wait. And that's the thing too. The more difficult part of it is, uh, and I'm learning to uh, to appreciate those days when there's not too much going on because I stay so busy, but, the uh, the reality of it is, is it's become such a big part of my life, you know, carrying these stories and researching, doing the, the due diligence and the, the fact-finding and all that sort of stuff. And then you talk to these people, and they're so kind. And there are so many of these former Mississippi State student athletes and coaches that are just so incredibly grateful to be remembered. And so I approached all of that with all the respect and dignity that I could muster I said, you know what? I want to do these stories justice, not just for these people, but for the Mississippi State fans that have lived through these things. Because, guys, and this is one of the things I don't know that most fans of your generation fully appreciate. From 1947 to 1963, mm. we went 0 16 and 3 against Ole Miss. We didn't win a game for 20 years and arrived. And I don't know that I could live through that. I'll be honest. No, I don't
0: know if I could either.
1: <laughs> and so. I had a chance to interview some of the players that were part of that 1964 team that finally won the Golden Egg for the first time in two decades. And uh, I interviewed Bill McGuire, and I interviewed Hol Granger, and I interviewed uh, Dan Bland. And one of the things that Dan Bland told me that was so amazing, and I think this will make you proud to be a Mississippi State student, is that when, after we had gone over we won that game in Oxford, the previous year we had tied them in Starkville and we tore down the goalposts as if we'd won the national championship. We were so happy not to lose. And so we finally win that game. And uh, Dan Bland says, as the bus brought the teams back to Starkville, as they made their way towards the locker room when I got on campus, that the students came rushing out to the locker room. He said there were so many people coming, it's like they were getting out of the, coming up out of the cracks of the sidewalk. And they partied so hard. That they decided to cancel class on Monday. <laughs> oh, so they were so happy to to beat Ole Miss. And so when you... we could do that again,
0: I could see it. We should do something like you know, let's go to Tuscaloosa, beat Alabama, and then just party till well, that's,
1: Monday. And that's the thing too is like <laughs> we 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 this generation of Bulldog fans has had so much to be proud of, and uh, have seen some incredible moments. I mean, we, we got a good chance to go to our tenth straight bowl game. You know, prior to 1980, before John Bond became our quarterback, we had been the four bowl games in our history. And so part of the purpose of this book is to kind of tell our story and also kind of demonstrate where we have come from as, as a university and athletics program to where we are today.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like the whole Twitter community for Mississippi State fans needs to look at the book.
1: Oh, no doubt. Yeah, everybody needs to buy one yeah. for themselves and, and, and for all the Mississippi State fans and for Christmas in their, in their lives. It's, it's See, and this is where I think Flim Flem is a little different. You know, Flim Flem is a book that I think you want to pass around because it's one of those books, I think, after you read it, you're thinking, wow, this is incredible, and you want your friends to know about it. I think Stark Villains is a book just, it's more like a keepsake. I think you want to read it, but you want to keep it for yourself so you can refer back to it because it is a very pro- Mississippi State book, and really there's not ever been another book written quite like this one.
0: That's awesome. So we know that
1: while you were writing the book, you know, that you're still a full-time
0: journalist. How did you balance those two things? You know, you've you've got to travel to, you know, wherever and and who knows what to just cover, you know, college games and recruiting games, you know, high school and stuff like that. How were you able to just balance that out for both of these
1: writing processes? Well, it was a little easier the second time through, you know, because – Mm -hmm. Number one, I I wasn't under quite as much pressure, you know, with the first one, you know, we, um, the book was essentially finished. And uh, when Hugh Freeze resigned and then then we had to pull the book back (laughs) and I had to change the chapter, that chapter about the resignation and all that stuff. And so, um, so that was important. This one was a little different. And, and, you know, thankfully we live in a, uh, a day of technology where uh, it's a lot easier where you can just download an app to your phone and you can interview people, while you're traveling and so I did when I would do my baseball trips I uh I got out and I interviewed some people while I was on the road I would make a list of who I needed to interview and then I would set up the interview with them and and, uh, interview them I may be on the road to Texas A&M to cover baseball and interviewed Anthony Dixon and Derek Pegues about big moments in the rivalry and so I just what I did is I made a list of number one which games that I think were important and which personalities that I think are, were important. So the main thing I did is I made that outline of who I wanted to talk to, what I wanted to talk about, but more importantly, to give them an opportunity to tell us some things that maybe we didn't know, some behind-the-scenes things, some things maybe happened in the locker room or in practice or stuff that coaches told them. And so I wanted to do a good job with this, but I wanted to give some of our heroes in the rivalry the opportunity to tell their story and while it's my name on the book these are our stories as Mississippi State Bulldogs this is not a Steve Robertson vanity project this is something that I did because I felt that it was important that we document the words of our heroes talking about some of the greatest victories in the rivalry and I I, it has been one of the greatest things that I have ever done and I'll tell you I, I could have continued to talk football with Jackie Sherrill and Bob Tyler and and uh, John Bond and those people, I mean, that, that's the fun part of it. I mean, it's like you know, the writing part of it is work at times. The editing process is definitely work. But having a chance to talk sports with Morgan William or Nick Fitzgerald or Luke Alexander or uh, Brantley Jones, who was the 1970 SEC Pitcher of the Year, and he struck out Archie Manning in an SEC championship game, you know, to be able to talk about those kind of things and to breathe new life into some old stories, it's been uh, absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, you know, people forget Archie played baseball. <laughs> um, that's awesome. We we're just again, like I know we've said it a lot, but just I'm just excited to have these stories because, like you said, all of this, all these things, all these books that come out, you know, Ole Miss, and we have a lot of writers from Ole Miss, and there's a lot of writers from Mississippi State, but all the, all the books about this is from is from, come from people that live in Oxford. I mean, if you've ever been to off square books or square books in Oxford, there's, there's thousands of books about Ole Miss and, you know, us here at Mississippi state, I think we just, we're, you know, we're all off working hard and inventing things and, uh, you know, creating, building baseball stadiums or building drones or you know, supercomputers and stuff like that. And nobody stopped. Hey, we ought to probably write, you know, literature is important too. we to just document these things. So that's, just, it's awesome. Um, Moving on to some different things, you know, we've talked, talk a little bit about yourself, Steve. So how did you get into journalism in the first place?
1: Well, I've already, I've always written, you know, and uh, I shared this with somebody yesterday, the, uh, you know, something Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith said years ago, always resonated with me. It's until we all find a way to express ourselves, we're just kind of bozos on the bus. And, uh, I think there's some real value in finding what you're passionate about that allows you to kind of take the trash of your soul out. And, uh, Writing kind of does that for me. For some people, it's, it's singing. For some people, it's going into the woods and, and deer hunting and being one with nature. And, and I get all that. You know, for some people, it's religion. For some people, it's you know, painting or creating. And, and I think we all have that desire in us to share what's in our heart with the world. And so from an early age, I was found out that I was pretty good at writing. I was able to articulate and kind of illustrate what I was feeling in a way that other people could appreciate. And so I've always written and, uh, I played sports until, uh, until I got cut. Cause that's the thing with every student athlete, everybody at some point we all get cut. And, uh, I wanted to stay connected to sports because I think there's so many great metaphors for life in sports that I, um, you know, so I began to write about sports and I began to write about lessons learned in sports. And then, uh, that evolved into the opportunity to write part-time. I was, uh, I was a father and a husband and guy in the retail furniture business, but I still had that creative urge, and I wrote for free. I wrote on my own, just uh, you know before there were blogs and websites that were available to people. Uh, I wrote an email newsletter. I, I would pick games and talk trash about certain SEC teams and and it was a, it was a goof, and uh, <laughs> I started doing it with my friends. And then uh, then people said, hey, well, so-and-so wants to get your email newsletter. And then this person, then I'd have people, I'd have, you know, people every day emailing me say, hey, add me your distribution list. And so in the end, I had over 2,000 people that were on my email distribution list. They got what was called the Robertson Report. And I would just write this article about here are the games this week and here's, here's who's going to win and here's why. And it was really kind of funny and tongue-in-cheek. And then Gene Swindall, who runs Gene's Page, Uh, invited me to join his staff as a part-time writer way back in 2001. And uh, that eventually became an opportunity for me to write for, for scout and for Fox sports and um, North American media group, and now CBS interactive and two, four, seven sports. And so, you know, we all start somewhere, but I'm really proud of, of the efforts that I have put forth to kind of carve out my own niche in the writing community, because for the most part, I've done it my own way, and uh, there are a lot of people out there that uh, go to school and get a degree, and they have to do a lot of things they don't like in order to do the things they want to do, and uh, you know, for many years, I had to work some jobs that I wasn't really fond of, but I always had that burning desire to write, and so I never gave up on the dream. That's one thing that I'll sh- I share with young people when I get a chance to go speak is no matter what happens the rest of my life, <clears throat> I got to live my dream my dream was to be a professional writer. And my, well, my, my first dream was to be a rock star. That's why I'm talented enough to do that. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I became a prof- professional writer. And I always wanted to cover Mississippi State and help tell the Mississippi State story. I've got no designs to go cover the LA Lakers or the Miami Heat or Chicago Cubs. This is it for me. This was the destination job for me. So no matter what happens the rest of the way, I've been able to live my dream. And I think that's a wonderful thing.
2: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome, um, and I'm glad to see somebody so dedicated to the Mississippi State beat. Because actually, our next our next question that we had in line for you was, um, of course, turnover is high in the industry of you know journalism and beat writing, and Mississippi State seeing guys like Brett Hudson, Bob Karskaden, uh Brandon Walker, you know some other guys that have just picked up their things and uh, moved on to another team, another place, a new city, um, and we know that you spend a lot of time with those guys and that, uh, you know, you build relationships with those guys. We're just more interested in the, uh, you know, in the relationship side of it. Do you miss those guys being around? And, uh, you know, what would it take for you to leave Starkville if, you know, anything could?
1: Well, those are all great questions. The first thing I'll tell you is that the, the burnout rate for sports riders is extremely high because mm-hmm. we work seven days a week you know it's like we, we never we're never off work and uh, that's one of the things I don't people think well you know man it's great you get to go and you get to go to the ball game and that sort of stuff and yeah that's, that's it's all great. but the reality of it is and I've said this to many people before if my wife had not kind of grown into this with me and I'm a workaholic as it is you know that's one thing about being a person of recovery you know I just I, I never stop I'm always working. But I can't imagine, like if I'm ever single again, and God forbid that ever happened, if I'm ever single again, I can't imagine bringing somebody else into this meat grinder of life because I'm never available a lot of times. There are some days where, you know, your schedules just don't match up. And so for young people that get involved in this industry, you need to be aware of the fact that you're never off work. Now, it's a fun job, but it's still a job. It's a rewarding job. But at the same time, too, there's a demands of this job that are unlike any other. Because in the beginning, you're going to take a job, arguably writing about something you don't really care about, but you're not passionate about, and you're not going to get paid a lot of money for it. And so eventually, people want to go do something else. And uh, about some of those other guys, too, I mean, most of the people that cover our beat are simply passing through. This is like a stepping stone type job for them where they they take a job here at Mississippi state and they get established and go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, Bob's a startable guy and Brendan's a West point guy. And I think at some point that, uh, you know, that their paths may cross with us again, but that's one thing I've learned in this industry. Is you never get real attached to anybody, you know, because a lot of people are just passing through. Not everybody dreams of covering Mississippi state. They just kind of get that assignment as part of their career path. And they come here and they like the place, but it's not something that they, uh, it's not a lifelong aspiration for them. And so we're not all looking for the same things in life. You know, and a lot of the guys that cover Mississippi State, you're not necessarily Mississippi State fans. And uh, there's a lot of discussion about that sort of thing. And and I'll get on my soapbox here a little bit, and I'll share some of this stuff with you. It's so funny to me, these people that try to pretend, you know, it's like they're passionate about their high school team. They're passionate about their MLB team. They're passionate about – their NFL team or their NBA team or whatever, but they're not passionate about college sports, man, give me a break, you know? And so Uh I don't, I don't make any illusions about it. I am a Mississippi state guy. I've got the M over S tattooed on my left hand. Uh, I'm wearing a maroon and white Stark villain shirt right now to celebrate maroon Friday. I am proud to be a Mississippi state guy. We want to report positive and negative news about Mississippi State because we think it's better served coming to Bulldogs from Bulldogs. But uh, the reality of it is there are a lot of people out there that consider themselves somewhat objective, run-biased observers. And you know what? That's probably true. The reality of that is is those people don't know our history and they don't know what resonates with our fans. And so I think it takes both of us. I think it takes some people that maybe can be a little more objective But at the same time, you have people like myself and David Murray, Mike Nemeth, Robbie Falk, Paul Jones, Gene Swindoll, that are a little more passionate about Mississippi State. They want to see good things happen to Mississippi State. And so we know the history of our program. We know the history of our fan base. And I think both perspectives are important for fans because then you can get both sides of the coin.
0: That's a good point. And I know there's some – some other <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Some other journalists at, at a few other schools that might act like, you know, they're not fans or that this is not, you know, a, a prospect. I know there was one school that said, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but the reporter said, if, we, if Mississippi State gets swept uh, this weekend by us, blah, 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 and there was – and we ended up sweeping that team. I'm, we might all know who we're talking about. And I'm just like, man, nobody saw a sweep coming on y'all's side. There was no – there was no – way that that was going to happen and I and you're going to out here and pro- go make these predictions and stuff and then act like you're not a fan you know and I like how the guy you and all those at Gene's page don't hide that and don't try to act like you're not rooting for Mississippi State uh, while you're doing all this another thing I don't understand how people don't come over here and cover it for a long time and don't just fall in love with it because I love it up here <laughs>
1: I, yeah. mean, I think it's yeah, great I, I do too and one another distinction I think is important too is uh, you know a lot of people that they say well you know this guy's not a journalist. This guy is, you know, here's the deal. I don't care about any of that, you know, and uh, I had a discussion yesterday with a couple of guys in the media room, you know, and uh, somebody made the comment about, you know, that they're, they're a journalist as if to say that I'm not, you know, and uh, what's funny about that is there are some people that are reporters and there are other people that are journalists. And it's so funny to me that a lot of people that want to claim to be journalists, never break any news. And so that's, mm-hmm. you know, if you just want to come to the ball game, get a free hot dog and write a game recap, then call yourself a reporter. Don't call yourself a journalist, because uh, there are some people in our industry, that's all they ever do. And I think, really, there's a lot of those guys just want to go to the ball game, You know, and so uh, that's some of the things that's interesting to me, you know, about that. And some of these same people that are so critical uh, of people like us, you know, and, and that's one of the things when I think about all the things that I'm involved in now, you know, when I first started writing... I just wanted to write about Mississippi State. Well, now Mississippi State full-time, I've got the largest podcast audience. I've got the largest social media following. Now I do a Facebook live show twice a week on the Bulldogs 247 Facebook page. I don't know that there's another Mississippi State uh, media member that is as accessible as I am. And so I'm out here trying to build an empire, and other people are collecting a check. And so that, that's one of the distinctions. It's, it's not a stop in the road for me. I'm here to tell the Mississippi State story in every possible medium that I can.
0: That's awesome. Yep. Switching gears a little bit, you uh, know you like to go out and travel and do some of the th- – I know, of course, you're a workaholic and you love to uh, love to cover Mississippi State and, and get your work done and write and write and all that stuff. But, of course, we all have our hobbies. And I, I know just listening to your show and talking to Audrey and stuff, I'm good friends with Steve's daughter for those of you that don't know. That uh, you like to go out and try to watch music, don't you? You like to go to concerts and stuff. What are some of the best concert
1: trips you've had recently? And what you know, tell
0: us some of your some of your favorites.
1: Well, last Friday I went and saw Fozzie, which is Chris Jericho's band. I had never seen them. That was a great show. And uh, Jared James Nichols, who is an incredible blues guitar player. If if you are into blues at all. And this is kind of blues with some crunch. Go download some Jared James Nichols. I, you trust me, you will thank me later. He is incredible. His new single is called "Nails in the Coffin." It, it is incredible. Uh, so yeah, I get out and I go to that stuff, and uh, I like to meet the bands, and uh, I like to meet other people that are part of the scene. Because one of the things too that I kind of miss. Uh, so back in the '80s, when when uh, rock music was king. Uh, you felt like you were part of a scene. I mean, you know, we all watched MTV back when MTV played music, and because uh, MTV uh. stands for Music Television, people forget that. But, uh,
0: but what, fun th- fact: the guy that started MTV is from my hometown in Merkavin, Mississippi.
1: There you go. But uh, <laughs> but the reality of the whole thing is the, uh, you know, we would go to rock shows, or we'd go to beat pop record shop in Jackson, and and you'd buy your pins for your favorite band and put them on your denim jacket. But you felt like you were part of a movement. And uh, I think music empowers people. And I remember in the early 90s when, uh, you know, we were all part of the grunge movement and, and, uh, and Rage Against the Machine. I love Rage Against the Machine. I wish they were still together. But, you know, people forget this. But in 1992, Rage Against the Machine played free concerts across the street from both the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention because they wanted our generation's voice to be heard. They weren't taking the political side. They were a political band making the political statement about what was important to our generation. And I'm really proud to have been a part of that generation. And when, when music really meant something and music moved people and you could get things done, nowadays it's all so watered down. There's nobody mm-hmm. out there. Everybody's got a song to sing, but nobody's got a statement to make. And uh, I just think that you guys have really missed. This generation has missed out on what we experienced in the nineties and especially in the eighties. And you go way back to the the 1960s, you know, my parents' generation, when, uh, you know, Hayton Ashbury, the whole uh, hippie movement and the uh, anti-Vietnam movement was so big. And like, I see all this angst and all this passion on social media and stuff, but uh, there's no right. There's nobody in the music industry right now that is really leading uh, a movement of sorts. And so, uh, I enjoy all of that. I enjoy connecting. As I, I told some people last Friday, when I go to shows, it's a place where I lose myself and I find myself. And uh, it's kind of like you, you're reconnecting with the tribe. You go back around people that are like you, that share your interest. And uh, I always tell people when I'm at shows, because everybody, they'll bump into you, whatever, and they're always like, I'm so sorry. Man, it's all family down here. And I wish we could bring that same spirit, that esprit de corps, that you have at a rock show into the regular life because when you're at a show, nobody cares what's happening. Nobody cares what this person's wearing, what that person's had to drink or anything else. We're just there enjoying life. And uh, that's one of those things. Maybe I'm a bit of a bohemian, but I, I like the fact that you can go and just kind of unplug and just let the music bathe over your soul and, and, ch- and cure what ails you in life.
2: That's Awesome. Um, we're going to try and wrap it up because I know we've kept you longer than we said we would, and we like to apologize for that. So we're going to move well, I'm, on. I'm the one uh... doing
1: all the talking, so blame me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to move on to football now, though. So obviously, last week wasn't you know, too good in Auburn. Um, spotting them 21 points at the very beginning of the game probably made things a little worse than they actually turned out to be. But what do, what do you think the guys have to do uh, during this bye week to tighten up and go into Neyland next week to get a win?
1: I think the first thing we got to do is get healthy. You know, we got some guys are a little bit banged up. You know, Tommy Stevens, it seems like ever since the uh, second quarter, the Southern Miss game, you know, he's been um, less than 100%. And I thought Joe made an interesting comment on Monday that people kind of forget. You know, Tommy was playing extremely well prior to the injury. And right, right. now, Derek Schrader's yeah. kind of got the hot hand. But, you know, the reality of the situation is, is that, uh, you know, when Tommy's healthy, we're a very prolific offense. And so, I think we got to get him healthy. We've got to get some guys in the offensive line kind of settled in. Especially in run blocking. But, you know, Kyle has played through a couple of bumps and bruises. So, I think the bye week is good. We've got to go out there next week and stop the run. And that's where – that's really been the biggest chore for us is because on some games we sell out to stop the run. and next thing you know, we're susceptible to play action or the rollout pass and sort of stuff. We just need to kind of settle in, get healthy, and find a way to slow down that Tennessee running game and force them to throw the football because I think Garantano will give us the football game if we don't – if we put the game in his lap. (laughs)
0: I'm not scared of Garantano at all. Um, another thing, you know, talking about just less X and nos but no more just stuff about the future. Are we going to be? I know, we, I know, we ought to, and I, if, I'm of the opinion that if we can, we need to. But are we going to be able to keep Garrett's red shirt? I know he's he's done as of right now. If he does keep the red shirt, is, is that is that possible? I know. I know uh, Keaton, we're probably, you know, four games with him maybe, and maybe of uh, maybe a couple games would get Jalen made, and I know that that situation is kind of uh, iffy as well. But is there a way that – and I'm not saying mail in this season, but I just figure a 23-year-old redshirt senior Garrett Schrader, who's a full-time starter, has got to be twice as valuable as a redshirt freshman Garrett Schrader, as good as he
1: is – or, excuse me, as a true freshman Garrett Schrader, as good as he is – as a part-time starter you have to manage the season you know you got to do what's best for mississippi state football this season and you can't say okay well let's look ahead and say okay well you know we could preserve this for garrett you know the needs of the team have to come first and i said on my show a couple of weeks ago i think ideally what you'd want is for tommy stevens to come back healthy and take over as a starter so you could preserve garrett uh, schrader's red shirt and have him for four more years but i think now after what happened with Kansas State. And I think now that you're three and two, you, you can't afford – you can't afford to let any game go. So, if Garrett gives you the best chance to win a game this year, I think you have to play him and then worry about 2023 when it gets here.
0: Mm-hmm. I just – man, I, Tommy looks good. Garrett looks good. But, doesn't man, that's a freshman. Doesn't that kid look just look dynamic?
1: Yeah, he does. He's t- The main thing about Garrett that's so great is that he just doesn't care. You know what I'm saying? It's like he, – No. He, he – he doesn't give a. Well, I know that too, but it's like he, he doesn't know enough to be scared, you know. So he just goes up there and plays, <laughs> and, and uh, he's just playing football. And I love that about him.
0: Yeah, he reminds me a lot of my little brother in high school. My little brother's just all business; just goes and does his thing. Makes us gets a sack, walks off the field, doesn't have to celebrate or anything like that. Anyway, shout out um,
2: to my so, brother.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're gonna wrap up with this one. We just want to know your thoughts on the incoming uh, football recruiting class. And also, do you have any news from the prep school system about recruits?
1: Well, the prep school system, no, not really. Uh, But here's the deal. I would say that I like the the current class. I think we'll see some adjustments between now and signing day. I think most of the needs have been met. I think we've got to get an outside linebacker and probably add another offensive lineman. And uh, Xavier Hill has uh, officially decommitted from Alabama. That is not unexpected, but that is a good thing for Mississippi State. Uh, I expect – that Xavier Hill will probably end up signing with Mississippi State. That satisfies your offensive line needs. I think you got to go out and get an outside linebacker. And then I think you can feel really good about the class. There are a couple guys in there that are somewhat developmental, but I think from a needs-based standpoint, I think Joe Moorhead's done a good job kind of identifying the guys that fit our culture and fit our system. And then we'll move ahead in December and hopefully get most of these guys to sign and put the class to bed. Awesome. So the last thing we're going to talk about is – of course, we want to give
0: all of our listeners an opportunity to buy your book and to uh, purchase that and get that for themselves and make sure that you become, again, you know, the number one selling book in, in the state of Mississippi. Uh, so what what did they need to do to get that book now and where would that book be found later? You know, I know not everybody's big on pre-ordering stuff online and mailing and mail and all that. And just they'd rather just go out to the store and buy it. Sure.
1: Well, if you want to pre-order, and I'm I am going to sign and personalize all pre order copies, and you can order that at StarkVillainsTheBook.com. Made it real simple for everybody. StarkVillainsTheBook.com, and then pretty much all great bookstores in the state of Mississippi will carry the book. You know, right here in Starkville, well, you know it'll be at the Lodge and Bookmart and Cafe and uh, Campus Bookmart, and then uh, the new Deep South Palp uh game day shop will carry it matter of fact you can get copies of flim flam there right now but but uh, the reality is we're going to have it everywhere we can possibly get you know we'll be at lemuria books and jackson and turn in greenwood and so it'll be all over just like it was in flim flam and uh but you can always buy it if, if there's not a bookstore in your neck of the woods you can always buy it at startvillainsthebook.com and it'll be out here in about about three weeks
0: Awesome. Is there any
1: chances? Are we going to get square books in Oxford to carry the book? You know what's funny about that? And I do have a square book story to tell. And, uh, you know, they didn't carry Flim Flam, uh, which was no surprise. But I will say this to their credit. When the book, when Flim Flam debuted at number one on the Mississippi bestsellers list, I believe the first person that called my publisher and my literary agent to congratulate me was Square Books. And I think that says a lot about them, not only as booksellers, but uh, the guy that does the buying for them really wanted to carry the book because, because they felt they would sell a lot of them, either in, in uh, interest or in disgust. They thought people would be interested in what I had to say, but the owner made the decision not to. And, and my feelings are not hurt about that. I, I get it 100%. I understand. You know, Everybody's got to make a decision what's best for their business. And the book did exceptionally well. Uh, sold still about 10,000 copies, and uh, we're about to be able to push it back out again. And, uh, you know, we're already getting a lot of interest now that Stark Villains is about to be released. That People are kind of, hey, we need to get Stark. We need to get Flim Flam. We need to get this. And so I'm just glad people are interested in the work and that I do things that uh, people find value in. So looking forward to a lot of people sporting the Stark Villains gear. That's nothing, too, if I'm plugging. If you want the Stark Villain T-shirt or hoodies or whatever, um, you can buy those at starkvillains.com. I get that a lot. People say, hey, where'd you get that shirt? Well, as a matter of fact, you know, that's my brand, but you can buy it at starkvillains.com.
0: That's good. That was going to be our next question. So, yeah. because we need to, everybody needs to get your shirts. You know, I know if you're from Starkville, they've got them in Starkville Academy and Starkville
1: High School colors, right, Steve? That's 100% correct. And you can get the maroon and white ones uh, at the Deep South Pout game day shop right now. They have them right there. You, you don't have to order them. You just walk in there and buy them.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, just to just to recap, for yourself, for your Christmas presents, for the people you love, for grandchildren or grandparents, anything, get Start Villains the book for anybody that you love. But also, you know, maybe that brother-in-law or that roots for Ole Miss or that cousin that kind of fell off the wagon somewhere along the way, get them Flim flam That's, I think that's probably a, a present that they, you know, if you, you you know, sometimes you just draw names at Christmas and you just gotta. You're not really. Uh, what do I get this part of? If they were full miss, you know, you can, you can always get a good laugh out of that. But also get one get one of each of the books for yourself. Uh, I know I enjoyed the heck out of Flim Flam, and I'm looking forward to Stark Villains and all the rest of the books. Also, like we said in the beginning, uh, Steve's podcast is on Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. Just like anywhere you can, if you're listening to ours on an app, I'm sure it's, his is on that app too. Um, you can find that uh three days a week monday wednesday friday that's right that's right monday wednesday friday and it's every week you know i know ours we kind of do ours with the ebb and flow of the the sports season but his is constant standard stays the same um he does things a little bit differently and a little bit more consistent if i had to if i was being honest but anyway championship standard Uh championship standard that's right well, we are so glad to have you, Steve. You were as, as be- better than we could have ever asked for uh, this uh, this morning. We're glad to have you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, thank just, you know, humoring, if, if anything, humoring a couple of aspiring journalists or aspiring media members, I guess. You know, we'll get
1: that media pass someday, right,
0: Kevin?
2: Yeah, that's the goal.
1: There you go. You guys, ha- yeah. thanks for taking the interest in my work, and best of luck with everything. Study hard.
0: We'll try our
1: best. I don't know I don't
0: know if, uh, if we'll succeed. But we'll try our
1: best. <laughs> Take care guys.
2: Thank you. All you right. too. All
0: right. And as always guys. Praise the Lord and go dogs and hell state. Hail
2: state.